our God is not just the God of the Old Testament. He's not just the God of the New Testament. He's not just God as Moses led the children of Israel. He's not just God as the Apostle Paul blazed a trail in the early church hours. But he's God all the time. He's God right now. We bless his name for the privilege to come again tonight. And be still and know that he is God. Trust you had a good afternoon. Some of you look a little doubtful. But uh, we trust that the Lord will quicken our minds, our hearts, as we look into his word together tonight. Let me say I appreciate what the Lord did for us here this morning, both seen and unseen. And then we thank him for his provisions. We thank you for the nice room. And uh, I think Brother Dukes enjoyed it more this afternoon than I did. I laid down and meant well, but I didn't do very well. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for your kindness. Looking forward to fellowship. I realize things are different this year, but we'll accept that. And if we have to wave at one another, we'll do that. At any rate, thanks for your prayers and for being here again tonight. I want you to be turning with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. I'm reading the entirety of Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter number 8. It begins with a certain note and ends with that same emphasis. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands thou hast put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, 
How excellent is thy name in all the earth. I wonder if all of you would say that with me, that, that ninth verse together. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You may be seated. I pointed out this morning that the theme that has become real to me in my study of the book of Psalms, of course it's a gigantic volume, 150 chapters, and I would consider all of that and yet say it seems that the key theme is that of worship. It may come in varied forms. But it always comes back to this emphasis. And since God is set forth in such a majestic way, I've chosen to refer to these Psalms under the title, Worshiping the King. Tonight, with the Lord's help, I'd like to walk down through this Psalm. And because... It is said twice, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. I would like to use this theme, worshiping the most excellent king. Now all through history, man has often boasted or made himself to think and others to think that he's greater than he is. The Marshal of France, I think you pronounce his name, Soult, S-O-U-L-T. He was so certain that he would conquer Portugal that he announced in a proclamation himself King of Portugal before that ever happened. In fact... He had a grand feast prepared for four o'clock that afternoon. But before that hour, he fled in defeat. And Wellington of the conquering hosts sat down at four o'clock at the very banquet the marshal had ordered for himself. The truth is... None of us are as glorious and excellent as we may present ourselves at our best. We come so far short of his glory, do we not? But our king is most excellent. All his prophecies come true. He does reign over all as the most excellent king. He's worthy of our worship and our adoration. Now, Psalm 8 is another messianic psalm. No, he is not mentioned in every verse, but there are several verses that are found in the New Testament and applied to Christ, given in reference to Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 21, quoting verse number 2, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings 
hast thou ordained strength it's rendered ordained praise in the New Testament then verses 4, 5, and 6 are quoted in three different New Testament scenes. 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians chapter 1, and Hebrews chapter 2. I underline this because everything comes back to Christ. He's the centerpiece of divine revelation. Moses is not the theme of the Old Testament. Paul is not the theme of the New Testament. Simon Peter is not the majestic centerpiece. But Christ in the midst of everything is the object of worship. I love this psalm not only because I wrote a song involving the excellence of Christ. But in one of the darkest hours of my life, these nine verses became like a ship to carry me through the troubled waters. And so, forgive my prejudice tonight, but I just lean towards this psalm, even daily, weekly, monthly, in prayers. Verses come to me out of this psalm while I'm preaching elsewhere. And tonight, with his help, with the enablement of the Holy Ghost, I'll try to say some things about our most excellent king. I have one interest tonight, and that's to make my boast of Christ. I have nothing else to boast of. You have nothing else to boast of. It's Christ and Christ alone. Let me give my pattern, my flight pattern. Then we'll try to touch down on these little islands. And if I fail to keep my flight pattern, when you go home tonight, you can say, well, bless his heart, he told us what he's going to try to do. And uh, if you'll stay with me, I'll do my best. In verses 1 and 2, we're confronted first with the excellence of the king's glory. The excellence of his glory. And you'll notice in verse number 2, Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Then in verses 3 and 4, we're reminded of the excellence of his grace. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? The excellence of the king and his grace. And then in the last verses, verses 5 through 9, where we're reminded of the excellence of God's goodness in Christ. He has exalted man above all other creatures. And uh, he's the crowning work of creation. He has been stamped with the image of God. Now with those three thoughts... You pray and move with me as we go down through each verse. We'll begin as we think of Christ's excellence. We'll begin with the excellence of his glory. Now, sometimes we preachers are guilty of using words and never defining them. Maybe I should speak for myself. 
I did that a long time with the word glory. I just expected people to know when I talked about the glory of God, what I was saying. But to break it down, it seems to indicate the exceeding greatness of God's person. In fact, when Moses saw God's glory, he mentioned about eight different attributes of God that were real to him when God unveiled his glory to him. It's just his person and the vastness of it. Now in verse number one, we see that God is lifted up as the Lord. Look at the phrase with me. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now we have two different spellings here. We have a Lord in small capitals, which indicates Jehovah. And then we have a Lord in capital letters, big letters, a capital, uh, more than capital readout, but a bold-faced one, <laughs> indicating that he is the God of his people. He's the ruler. He's Jehovah, but he's the ruler. Oh, Lord, our Lord. So I would underline firstly tonight, as we think of the excellence of his glory, his glory in his sovereignty. He is most excellent. Thy name is excellent in all the earth. The word might be rendered three different ways. Majestic, noble, and even mighty. The suggestion is he is not just Lord. He is Lord. Lord of lords and king of kings. He is sovereign. He is over all. He's not just sovereign over heaven and earth. He's sovereign over his creation. He's sovereign in this matter of worship. Uh, some folks say this little phrase, well, we've come to worship tonight. Well, it's hard to muster up worship. It's a work of grace. It's God's sovereign grace that enables us to look up in worship. And so we're confronted with his glory in his sovereignty. Furthermore, in verse 1, since there's a reference to his name, we see his glory in his signature, in his name. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Uh, the idea of one's name is their reputation. What one is, what one represents. My brother is 250% mountainy. And uh, I said to him one day about a certain man that he had worked around. I said, what is it with that fellow anyhow? I said, uh, he seems to be very smart, but it's almost like he has to impose that on everybody. He's had, my brother said, I'll tell you how he is. He said, when he talks to you, firstly, he'll look down at you. 
like you're of no value. And said one of his favorite phrases is, let me see if I can make this simple enough for you. I said, yeah, I've met several folks, probably got the same name. I, I, I say, beloved, there's some who act as though their name is above God's name. And their sphere, their little kingdom is bigger than God's kingdom. The truth is, God is glorious in his signature, in his name. He's not just high, he's high and lifted up. He's not just lifted up, he's lifted up and high. In fact, he revealed himself to Abraham as the most high God. I got to preaching in a big way years ago, and these preachers understand this, and y'all understand this to a degree. I just couldn't say it the way it said, the most high God. And so I ended up saying, he's the mostest and he's the highest. Well, that's not quite the rendering, but I think that would pass. He is overall. He, his name is excellent in all the earth. I'm talking about the excellence of the glory of the king. There's the, his glory and his sovereignty. Oh Lord, our Lord. There's his excellence, his glory and his signature, his name, which is excellent in all the earth. I would underline thirdly, in verse number two, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. Here we're reminded of the glory of the king in his spheres. We're confronted with heaven and earth in verse number uh, verse number one and then in verse number two we're confronted with the idea of babes and sucklings F.B. Meyer said God is so mighty that his strength communicated to babes is more than enough to vanquish and silence all his foes. <laughs> I thought of Moses in that light. He's out there in that little ark made of bulrush and uh, Pharaoh thinks he's in charge of everything and God sends Pharaoh's daughter out there and uh, God shows his strength even in the babe, the suckling Moses and he's still doing that. George Watson in one of his books uh, George D. Watson he said that children and young people are what to the glory and the work of God they are what like silver is to electricity silver is a conductor and he said children and young people often are conductors of the work of the spirit of God well, here we're told that out of the mouths of babes and sucklings he's ordained strength. Or as it is rendered in the New Testament, he has ordained praise. 
He's going to be exalted in all spheres, in the earth, in the heavens, and down with the little babes and sucklings. While we're oohing and going over how cute the baby is, God is showing his glory. He's revealing his authority and his vastness in a little babe. Ah, oh, brother, I was privileged to, to go into the birthing room with my second child and uh, I wasn't prepared. I don't think I should have been briefed a little bit more. But uh, I didn't pass out. Uh, I didn't hit the floor. But I'm telling you, from that point on, I recognized like never before the glory of God in the birth of a child. How can someone look at a newborn babe and still deny the existence of God? I say, beloved, his glory is excellent in all spheres. And so verses 1 and 2 declare the excellence of the king's glory. Then we come to verses 3 and 4. And I confess that it would be easy to get hung up in these two verses. Here we're confronted with the excellence of the king's grace. What is man? After I consider the heavens and the moon and the stars, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Let's look at those verses. Verses 3 and 4. The work of thy fingers is how he observed the heavens. I thought of all the times this psalmist as a shepherd boy had been out in the fields at night with his flock and had witnessed the glory of God in the heavens. When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers. Some suggest that this word fingers, the work of thy fingers, these words are embroidery terms. They work, the embroiderer works with little details, with the microscopic work. My grandmother was uh, an invalid given to arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, but somehow her hands escaped enough that she did a lot of embroidery work right up until her early 90s. And uh, we have that work in our house and uh, I proudly display it. My grandmother did this and here it is in my house. Well, the psalmist looked at the heavens, the moon and the stars and he said, that's my father's work. My father's put that together like an embroiderer. He's worked on the specifics, the details, the minute um, objects. And so he then says, I'm, mind, I'm amazed not only that you work in the heavens, but I can't help but say, after looking at that vast sphere, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I want to refer to the mindfulness of God towards sinners, towards you and me, as the consideration of grace. He did not turn his face from us. We turned, as it were, our faces from him. But he looked in our direction. 
it's like my wife and myself. Uh, I was trying to get her to date me, and I just could not win her over. And uh, she said, no, I don't think so, Tom. And I said, well, what if I love you? She said, well, what if I don't love you? I said, well, that's a big concern. And uh, I'd like to think that maybe you could, you could come to the knowledge of my love. And I like to tell, somebody said, well, why did she marry? Marry? She finally woke up. <laughs> she came to the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. I, better be, I should come to the altar first tonight. But I want to say God has considered us. What is mine? Uh, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. He visited us in our conversion. But way before regeneration, he visited us on the cross. You remember he said, Woman, behold thy son, speaking to Mary. And then he said to John, Behold thy mother. While he was suffering on the cross, he had Mary on his mind. And he had John on his mind. And he had you and me on his mind. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? I say, beloved, he does not look at us in distant terms. But he considers us. He considers us. Now you understand this. This matter of him considering us is that he might get to know us better. It's impossible to be around one another and not get to know one another unless one or the other is being hypocritical. Uh, we... We come, we come around, we visit one another that we might get to know each other better. Old Matthew Henry, who I visit on many occasions, I told my students on, in one class, I said, now there's one thing that you might have a little difficulty with, or one thing that I have difficulty with about Matthew Henry. One of them said, I bet it's his wig. He lived in the age of the wigs and you open up that big commentary and there he is in the front pages with that long white uh, wig on. Of course, am I in another age? But is it not true that in England those fellas still wear wigs when they're trying someone? Uh, is that not true? Uh, I say uh, we may be further along than we think we are. At any rate, Matthew Henry said, God visits as one friend visits another. And he is pleased to converse with man and concern himself for him. He's interested in us. The devil's a liar. The devil will convince you that God does not care. And that God is not interested. And he's not the God of your situation. But he is the God of the mountains. And he's the God of the valleys. And when we look at his creation, we marvel that God would be mindful of the likes of us. There's the consideration of grace. Let me just mention this in passing. 
Some view Noah like he was a unique person that God was drawn to. And God manifested his grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. No, Noah was just like the rest of fallen sinners. He had no interest in divine matters. But God was gracious and Noah found grace in God's eyes. He looked in his direction. He considered him. That's why I'm here tonight, brother. God looked in my direction. God was considerate of a sinner like me. And so there's the consideration of grace. And then there's the visitation of grace. He said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Now, I take very much comfort with this. The son of man, as distinguished from man, would indicate the offspring of man. He not only considers man, but he visits the son of man, man's offspring. What encouragement that should give us tonight. Our children and our children's children. And now I have a great grandson. Somebody get me a walking stick. Let me borrow Brother Dan's tonight. A great grandson. Graham Spurgeon Caps. That's a lot to live up to, isn't it? Anyhow, uh, the truth is that this matter of visitation involves our children. The fact is, my wife and I spoke about this together, the fact is, though we try to rear our children properly, and we point them to Christ, and we, we carry them on our hearts, yet here's my words, they must have their own experience with God. They can't live off of what mother has or what father has. They have to have a work of grace themselves in their hearts. And that encourages me that God will visit my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. Hallelujah. There's hope for our crowd after all. There's hope for your bunch. I want to tell you, God looks our way and he visits our children as well as us. Now this word visit is an interesting term in the Old Testament. Almost every time you find it, it has something to do with God visiting in judgment. But here, it's not a visitation of judgment. It's a visitation of grace. And when we visit somebody, we don't charge them for visiting them. And God visits us free of charge. He does not ask for a fee. He does not ask for some kind of uh, remuneration. No, he comes in grace. He visits in grace. Oh boy. Oh, that he might visit us in these days. Save us from our usual save me from my little routines and visit us and work in our midst mightily by his grace. You interested in that? Oh, I am. May God grant it to be so. Then, of course, verse 4 talks about him making 
himself known. Thou art mindful of him and the Son of Man that thou visitest him. He visits to make himself known. So we have not only the consideration of grace, he's mindful of us, and the visitation of grace, he visits us. But there's the revelation of grace, he visits us to make himself known. Uh, we we do, do not make ourselves known to him. We run from him. But ah, he makes himself known to us. Hallelujah. He breaks down the walls. You ever get around somebody and you can't get to know them? I had this fellow say this about me. I, took, I sort of took it offensively. Uh, he said to another fellow, and the other fellow brought it to me. He said, that Tom Hayes is somebody you just can't get to know. I said to my friend, who said that? You know, some people are willing to tell everything that they hear, but they're not willing to confess who said it. And I said, who, who in the world said that? He said, oh, I can't. I'm not going to give you his name. I said, well, uh, it seemed like you broke the news of what he said. Maybe you'd break the news of who he is. Right. Well, he finally... He finally told me. I said, he did what? That, that man said what? I said, he's never invited me out for a hamburger. He, he's never taken time to get me over to the steakhouse. Uh, he's never even offered me a piece of chewing gum. Why would he say I was hard to get to know when he's made no effort to get to know me? I want to say God is known by his people because he makes himself known. He reveals himself. Paul said, uh, he said I was on, the, on that road to Damascus and he said a light at midday brighter than the midday sun shined upon me. He said it was so bright I fell down to the ground. It's like God pinned him down like a snake and said to him, why do you kick against the pricks? I say pinned down like a snake because the pricks were the two pointed edges uh, or tips on the ox goad and the farmer would take that ox goad and put it in his ox and uh, can control his behavior from that point on. I want to say God pinned Paul down and uh, he said, Who art thou, Lord? I tell you, brother, God made himself known. He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. I, I believe that he's still in the business. Oh, that our hearts might find consolation in that. He's able to make himself known to husband or wife or children or parents or neighbors or working companions or friends or foes he's able to break down the wall and reveal himself to sinners hearts uh, let me say this about preaching if I could turn people from their sins to Christ I'd do it but even in preaching the gospel I cannot turn men to God it's God that must turn our hearts. Jeremiah wrote, Turn us, O Lord, and we shall be turned. And so there's the revelation of grace. 
Oh, worship the King, the most excellent King. The excellence of the King and His glory. The excellence of the King and His grace. Maybe I ought to pause for just a minute. Magnify this in some little way. I don't feel like I finished it. Let me just do it with the words of a song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Tis grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. I'm talking to you about the excellence of the King's grace. Yes. Now before we go, let's look at those last verses, which in some ways takes a downward move after we have looked at his glory and his grace. But in some ways we're confronted with the excellence of his goodness. He talks about man being the crowning work of God's creation. He is not the product of evolution. He is the product of divine creation. Look at the verse, verse number five. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Notice the word crown. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. This is the distinction of man. He's been put above all the creation. He is crowned with glory and honor. It's true that man is depraved. It's true that man is corrupt. It's true that man has no fear of God. And yet God has esteemed him and exalted him in the creation. There's the distinction of man in the goodness of the king. Let me underline the dominion of man in verse number 6. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. I was in a situation some time ago, I'd say four or five years ago. You will agree that our society has exalted animals above human beings. In my first trip to England in 1982, I went there very briefly sightseeing and was involved in a mission conference in Scotland and they told me when I rented that little car in London they said now you need insurance I said I've got insurance they said yeah but you need some over here I said well what if I took took advantage of, of that and didn't buy it oh yes I would advise you to get insurance I said, what is the selling point? She looked at me and said, I'll tell you, sir, what the selling point is. If you run over a human being, you may get back to the States. But if you run over a dog, you're going to end up in court for several months. That was in 1982. Now take it forward to 2020. And brother, we're hearing the same philosophy here in this country. I don't have a thing against dogs or cats or horses and cows. But I have never seen so many people 
with dogs on leases and they're holding them up close, going into stores, going into businesses. They treat them like human beings. Well, again, I have nothing against the animals. But we, we have forgotten that God has put us in dominion over the works of his hands. And uh, in this one situation where I was, it had a lot of alligators come out of the swamps. And you talk about fear on everybody. They're going to take over. They're going to take over. Those alligators are going to take over. They're coming right in your backyard, right up on your, on your porch. They're going to take over. Well, I was a member of their community, but I reminded them that King Kong was an image created by man. And if we're not careful, we'll try to make kings out of the animals. God put us over the animal kingdom, not the animals over us. So don't worry about the alligators or whatever you're worrying about, the wild hogs or something else, the coyotes. I want to tell you, God is still put us over all as far as his creation is concerned. Somebody said, well, I'm just a humble little person. Well, we all are in ourselves. We have no rank or file, but God has put us over his creation. Look at me. I'm not King Tom, but I'm Dom, dominating Tom, dominion. He's given us dominion. What you going to do, Tom, about those dogs coming after you, uh, your family? Well, I'm going to put them out of their misery. That's what I'm going to do to them. And uh, I found out, I have found out how when they run, well, they'll come sometimes up there at the end of the road where we live, and they'll pile up dogs fighting. They'll go to barking and yelping and... And then I'll come out on the porch and holler at them. I'll reach down and get a piece of gravel. Here they go down the road just as hard as they go. I throw that piece of gravel down there where they are. I'm pretty slow, but I've caught on. The dog that yells the loudest is the dog that probably got hit by the rock. Of course, I apply that to the church world too. I can preach, preach on certain subjects. And uh, boy, there'll be some yelping louder than others. And I know they're the ones that got hit by the word. They're the ones that got hit by the message. I'm saying, brother, we, we're set forth here not only in distinction, being the crowning work of God's creation stamped with his very own image, but we are set forth in dominion. There'll be no takeover by animals in the human kingdom. May I add, thirdly, we're reminded of the dispensation of man. Look at verse number uh, 7. Or verse 6, Thou hast put all things under his feet. Verse 7, All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, and the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. This is our position for a little while. We have this place. 
we were trusting the last Adam to come and deliver us from the curse of the first Adam. Ah, brother, he is the most excellent king. May we worship him in his glory. May we worship him in his condescending grace. May we worship him in the goodness that he's shown to the human family. Sometimes I look around, I see people walking, I see people talking, and I think, and God created us like that. We didn't just happen to come up on the hill or come down the road, but God made us in his own image. How good of God to give us such a place in the kingdom of the earth. I, I have been reading about different kings and trying to apply their failure to these psalms and magnify Christ's success. I would mention King Edmund II, king in England, the late 900s and early 1000. Uh, king Edmund was surnamed Ironside. He was a tough cookie. He was a strong one. But when he was opposed by Canute, C-A-N-U-T-E, in that kingdom in England, instead of fighting him, instead of standing up against him, he agreed to share his crown with Canute. So they had two kings in England during that time frame, around 1,000. I say, beloved, the Lord Jesus is our excellent king. He's stronger than King Ironside ever was. And uh, he will refuse to share his glory with another. He'll not give his crown with another king in your life and another king in my life. He reigns supreme as the most excellent king, the king of kings. Oh, Lord. Our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. That's Psalm chapter 8. Oh, that we might worship the most excellent king. We may give him all our homage and all our adoration. Even in these days, may we be moved to worship him, to see him in his honor and in his glory. Would you stand with me please? Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed.